This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand on the air. I'm Kate Bendel, the Dunedin Yoga Lady. Join me every second Tuesday at 10:30 as we explore all things to know about yoga. My passion is to open the doors of this powerful practice to the community and to share that passion with you. The Dunedin Yoga Lady, fortnightly on Tuesdays at 10.30 on ORFM and podcast from oar.org.nz. So thank you for joining me this morning for the Dunedin Yoga Lady show. I'm Kate Vendel, your host, and this is a show for people who already love yoga and are interested in finding out more about yoga, and also for the yoga curious. Chances are you probably have heard or seen about yoga. It has become incredibly popular, and sometimes it can be a little bit confusing as to what is it, and is it going to be helpful for me. So this morning... We're going, I'm going to give an overview, hopefully, a fairly broad overview of what actually is yoga and why perhaps would you opt to do it. Um, before I do that, though, I want to bring your attention to a beautiful event that we, uh, a yoga event that we had last Friday and are going to have on the last Friday of every month. So this is a regular community event and it falls very loosely under the umbrella of Bhakti Yoga. So Bhakti Yoga is the yoga of devotion. It's a very heart-centered practice. And we had a group kirtan. Some of you will know what kirtan is and will know that it's a very inclusive practice. It's I will try my best to describe it. It is devotional singing, and it's done in a particular way, and there's some particular instruments, the harmonium being a significant one, which is an unusual instrument. It's a sort of a combination between an accordion and a piano. It's a very small little thing. It sits on the floor. Um, My understanding is they originated in France, but it uh, seems the people of India really took to these instruments. And so what it is, is you come together in a group and there is a person who leads the kirtan. So they sing usually something fairly simple, usually something in the Sanskrit language. And as a group, you collectively chant that back to them. And as the chant or the song progresses, Often it will get louder and faster and then it will fade away. It's a beautiful practice. Um, we had about 30 people there, which was a lot for our first kirtan, and there was a flute and there was a violin. So this is a warm welcome to anybody who's listening who thinks they would like to be part of that. It's on the last Friday of every month, and it's out in Port Chalmers. There's a little wee hall there called the Pioneer Hall, and it starts at seven. And we spend about an hour and a half on the practice, and then afterwards there's chai and a chance just to talk and connect. So you don't need to be a singer. I can reassure you of that. I'm no singer. And 
if you're curious, just come along and see. There's really only one. Generally, people sit on the floor, but we also have chairs as well. So there's really no limitation. You don't need to be anything in particular to come along other than curious. And it's interesting that we have some amazing musicians supporting the practice. And one of them, you may have just been listening to earlier with um, Duke's show from Revolution Radio. He was there supporting us with his phenomenal drumming. So yes, that's a warm invitation. So moving on to today's topic, I want to give you a very, very broad understanding of what is yoga so that you can understand it's not the postures. It's not those gymnastical poses that we sometimes see. That is a tiny aspect of one of the tools of yoga, but those asana, that they, that's what they're called, they're not yoga. And that might be really confrontational for some of you who practice those asana and love your asana. I'm not saying they're not part of yoga, they are. And for some people, they're a significant part of yoga, but that's not the be all and end all. That's not the whole story. And I'm hoping to explain even why would you be doing those? What's the relevance or more importantly, what's the function or the purpose of doing those asana? So very broadly speaking, we could say yoga is a philosophy. So it is, yeah, it's a philosophy, very ancient philosophy. And it is one of the few philosophies that I know of that also has a practical dimension to it. I may have just revealed myself as being incredibly ignorant about philosophy, which could be the case. But I, for a fact, I know that yoga is a philosophy that has a, a, a section of it that says, and here is what to do. And in yoga, we call that sadhana. So it is an embodied philosophy. It's not a philosophy where you just think about it. Thinking about it and understanding it is part of it. But for it to be hatha yoga, which is what I'm talking about, you actually have to do it as well. And what is it that we're doing and why are we doing it? Broadly speaking, we're doing two things. We are cleansing and we are pacifying. So remembering that I've talked to you before that yoga has an understanding of the human system that is different from modern Western medicine. So when I say we are cleansing, we're cleansing all dimensions of the being. So that's your physical, your bones and blood and skin and, and that physical dimension that we're very familiar with. It's your energetic dimension, which we use the word prana to describe that energy level. Other traditions have other words for that. Um, we're cleansing the mental level and the emotional level and the spiritual level. And why? Why are we cleansing them? Are we full of something dirty? That is what is implied, really, isn't it? When you hear cleansing, well, there needs to be something dirty or something obstructive that you want to get out of the way. And yoga would say, yes, there is. 
And what there is, is an accumulation of toxins, but yoga has a very different understanding of toxins. I'm not talking about the toxins that we may hear people talk about, they're going on a green smoothie fast to get rid of toxins. That may be a small bit of yoga, and it is a small bit, but yoga thinks of toxins as things that are agitating or obscuring the natural light, the natural flow of divine energy, which is within us. Like we have this innate nature, which is divine and which is basically light and which is free flowing. But all sorts of things get in the way. And yoga is saying it's not because you've done something wrong or you're a particularly bad or dark person. It is the nature of the conditioned mind. We start taking on ideas and experiences that's, that we can't necessarily process fully or we mistakenly start identifying with things. And these things kind of block our system to some degree. And we may be aware of them or we may not. So yoga it works, it has many, many tools to try and move on these blockages or obstacles in our way. And it also talks about pacifying. And it's like, well, what are we trying to pacify? Why would we want to pacify? This is talking about mainly working in the, the mental realm, that yoga is about pacifying the movements of the mind the mind I think one easy metaphor to think of is if you think of your lake your mind as being a lake and at the bottom of that lake there is a light beautiful light when there's thoughts they, they come as waves on the lake. So the way, if there's a few thoughts, the, the lake could be a bit ch choppy or there might only be ripples. But even ripples will distort the, the vision of the light. And if the mind gets really busy and there's lots and lots of thoughts, it will become really wavy and rough on the lake. And you may not even be able to notice that there's a light there. And so yoga is saying that for us to experience our true self, the mind needs to be still. Yoga sees the mind as a tool. It's not the enemy by any means. And we're not wanting to transcend the mind and get out of our body. But we are wanting to learn ways to quiet the mind so we can link with our true self. And we want to learn how to use the mind. So we want to learn how we can use the mind. So that there, what I just said, is also a very big hint about what yoga is. It's like, so who's using the mind? If yoga is saying that we want to calm the mind and calm the senses, so that we can pick up the mind and use it as a tool, it implies that there is something, somebody behind the mind. 
and yoga has various names for that, as I'm sure other traditions also do. So yoga is saying that that's what we want to do. We want to access that deeper self, and that's only possible when we can quiet the mind to some degree. And so the one of the beautiful things about yoga is it has many tools because it acknowledges and understands that we're all different and we're facing different challenges and we just have different tendencies, different things will appeal to us. So hopefully when we come to a yoga class, the teacher is able to offer more than one tool because one's not better than the other. They're just different. It's almost like you can think of a house and there's different windows, but if you look through the window, they're all looking into the same room. It's a bit like that with the tools. So some of the tools get a little overused in the West and some of them get perhaps neglected and that's partly because they're more subtle which often means that you're needing to be working with students perhaps over a longer period of time. So the ones that we don't use much but are really good tools, are this, and it is part of Ashtanga Yoga, the eight limbs of Patanjali, is this idea that yoga has the tool, it's called there's Vihara, which is lifestyle, and Ahara, which is food. And I'm not going to go into depth with that, but that is this idea that within the yoga system, if you're practicing yoga, there are suggestions and tools and ideas about balancing your lifestyle and balancing your diet to control your senses and to quiet the mind. And these link very closely with Ayurveda. That's a sister science with yoga, which has a, goes into much more depth about um, particularly diet, maybe and lifestyle to some degree. So that is included in yoga, but that's not something that you would really brush up against probably in a general yoga class. It's something that perhaps if you're seeing a yoga therapist or did your own deep dive into yoga a bit more, you might find more about those things. And then, so that's the first two limbs. And then we have the other tool, which the, the one we all know, which is asana. And asana is using the physical body in a way to cleanse and quiet the mind. So I've done quite a few shows already about talking about how is that the case. If you go into your asana practice, the same as you're going into your um class at the gym or your Pilates class, you may in fact not manage to quieten your mind or cleanse the energy, the prana in your body. You might, but there are lots of clear guidelines within the philosophy of yoga of how you're meant to practice the asana to make it a pacifying and cleansing practice. That brings us to the next tool, which is a little bit used and you may come across it if you've done a local class and that's called pranayama so that's got that, that word prana in it so that is what we loosely and slightly incorrectly translate as breath exercises these are stepping into the more subtle aspects of yoga and the more subtle the more powerful 
So pranayama is working like you sit still. So there's no physical movement. So for a star, you need to be able to sit still. And if your mind is really agitated, that's going to be too difficult. So that's one of the reasons we do asana first. We do some movement so you can link the body, the breath and the mind and you can begin to quiet the mind down. You can get the flow of energy through the body so that the possibility to sit still is more available. And I don't know, for those of you who are listening, if you ever try, like, just go from your daily life, whatever you're doing, just to sit down, close your eyes, and concentrate on your breath, sometimes that can just feel way too hard. Like, the mind's just going a lot faster, and it's very externalized. So that's why we put asana first. Sometimes. Not always. I mean, if you've done a lot of yoga or you're a meditator, maybe you maybe you do have the capacity to sit down and just go straight into pranayama. So what pranayama is actually doing, it's working with the prana via the breath. So this idea of prana is that it's energy. So we can't taste it. We can't smell it. We can't touch it. But what we do know, and yoga shares with us, is that it is intimately linked with your breath and your consciousness. So where the breath goes and how it flows has a direct impact on the flow of your prana. So with our pranayama, we are doing exercises that are controlling the flow of the breath. And it's a very rich practice. And as there are many asana that we, a lot of us have seen, there are equally many, many different forms of pranayama. Some will be stimulating, some will be pacifying. And depending on what you're needing, <clears throat> there is a pranayama that will be right for you. And they are considered to be very cleansing. And... Often when we practice pranayama, the experience can involve having a lot of heat happening. So it's like we're going into our own energy system with the breath and with the consciousness. And as a result of that, yoga says that you are burning those toxins at quite a deep level. And I could certainly attest to there are many times when I do pranayama that even on these cold winter Dunedin mornings, I will break out into a sweat and I'm just sitting still. So that then leads us into an even more subtle practice, which is called pratyahara. And we had that word ahara earlier. So that means food. And pratyahara actually sort of translates as the opposite food. But what that means is, is talking about the senses. And often people will translate it as sense withdrawal. So in yoga, there is an understanding that the senses are one of the main obstacles to our experience our experience of life as being able to connect with our deeper self. The senses are, by their very nature, 
busy and their focus is outward. So yoga actually has 11 senses. I'm not going to talk about all those at this stage, partly because I don't feel fully cognizant in all of them, but also it's too much for one show. But even if we just look at the five basic senses that we know, like our sight, our sound, our touch, our hearing, and our smell, they are always looking for something to engage in outwardly. And often we're not even aware of this. But from the moment we open our eyes in the morning to the moment we get to close them at the end of the day, usually we have been looking, hearing, smelling, touching all day. And yoga says that it likens them. Actually, there's a very a lovely metaphor which I like which comes from the Bhagavad Gita which says that you think of an, a carriage like a carriage we don't have anymore like but like an old-fashioned like coach or horse and carriage and we're riding in this carriage like and the, the carriage is our body so that's the vehicle we our deeper self we're a passenger and our carriage is our vehicle What's pulling the vehicle, what's pulling the coach is there's five horses and they are our senses. We do have some reins and that's the mind. If we don't control those horses, it's going to be chaos. For a start, they're not all going to go in the same direction. And secondly, they're going to go where they want to go. And so that means the deeper self, your true self, is not in control and you're getting dragged through your life via your senses. And so yoga says one of the goals of this yoga is to pacify the mind, quiet the mind down, and so the deeper self can actually tell the horses where they are to go. And that sounds... I don't know if it sounds simple to you. When I first came across the idea, I was like, oh, is that what we do? Um, a lifetime of practice is proving that to be an extremely difficult thing to do. Um, and I think perhaps for most of us, we will have one or two senses that are perhaps quite strong and are constantly pulling us rather than us choosing where they want to go. So yoga has many, many tools to directly engage the senses. So the asana, we're using our senses. Pranayama, we're using our senses. The chanting and the japa, which is a repetition of mantra, they are all using our senses in the hope that we can pacify them. So I hope that gives you a wee bit of an overview of what yoga is for and the complexity of it in some ways so thank you for listening and if you are wanting to listen to this again or tell someone to listen to it who's not listening at the moment you can always direct them to the or website which is oir.org.nz and all the shows are there on their website and equally, if you want to get in touch with me, I have a website called thedunedinyogalady.com. And on there is a way for you to contact me if you've got any questions or any suggestions for the show. And 
I think next week we'll start looking at some of the sensors in a more direct way and relating exactly how the tools of kind of broad swept across how we use them in our yoga practice and what we could expect during a practice of using them. So thank you for spending this time with me. You've been listening to Kate, Kate Bendel, the Dunedin Yoga Lady. I'm Kate Bendel, the Dunedin Yoga Lady. Join me every second Tuesday at 10.30 as we explore all things to know about yoga. My passion is to open the doors of this powerful practice to the community and to share that passion with you. The Dunedin Yoga Lady, fortnightly on Tuesdays at 10.30 on ORFM and podcast from oar.org.nz. This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air.